0: In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to talk about some of the items that you really should do your best to check or do prior to the season actually opening. With some exceptions in states like South Carolina, your first tag might be starting as soon as three weeks from now, or it might be a little bit less than two months if you have an October opener and aren't traveling. Regardless, it's right around the corner, and checking some of these items as soon as possible will help give you time to make any corrections prior to the season if you actually need to do so. Before we get started, I have a quick message about the Spartan Forge app, which you can get a 20% discount on by using the code DIY. The app allows you to do all of your standard mapping, navigation in the field, and waypoint management. You can currently choose from three different satellite views, topo, and in many areas aerial imagery at multiple time points throughout history, view public and private lands, color code your permission status on those private lands, view all of your forecasted and historical weather info add journaling entries for your hunts that automatically tag the weather conditions and wind for that time period, and view a deer movement prediction powered by machine learning based on collared deer studies across the country. I also have a walkthrough video posted on my YouTube channel that you can use to physically see the app in more detail. And with that, let's dive back into the episode. I'm obviously pretty excited for the season to open up, as I'm sure just about everybody else is. For opening week, once again, I'll be going out to North Dakota, just like I have the uh, the last couple of years. Although last season I didn't go out right away for the opener because we went to Nebraska instead. This year we're not going back to Nebraska. I'll be going back to North Dakota and hunting some of the similar stuff that I have in the past. But I'm not just going to make the assumption that whatever I've done and learned in the past is still going to be a surefire thing. Because number one, last year there was a bumper crop of acorns. I can't assume that that's going to be the same. They had a whole lot of rainfall earlier this summer. So that could have affected things. And, you know, crops might be in different rotations this time of year. And certainly the hunting pressure is always somewhat of a wild card. It seemed like the last, you know, one, two, three years since we've been going up there, each year it's been almost exponential growth in terms of the number of hunters that we've seen, either just, you know, kind of popping around to the various plots, lands and WMAs, or just in the um, campground itself. So, It's definitely something where, even though I will certainly keep an eye on things that have done well for me in the past, I'm going to go into it once again with a really open mind and make sure that I have the ability and the mindset to make changes on the fly if needed. And then once that season is done, we'll be hunting in Minnesota, then Wisconsin, and uh, bouncing back and forth between the two. And really, I'm not planning on doing any other out-of-state trips until preferably both of those tags are filled. Could always go back to North Dakota, but I'm trying to keep it a little bit more honed in this year and not spread myself so thin. Everything else has been kind of falling into place too, just from a planning and preparation standpoint for me. Uh, I did make a later than expected change, obviously my arrow setup, which if you listened to the podcast last week, um, you probably already noticed that. So a couple people have asked about the exact setup that I'll be using for the compound. And it's, it's ultimately about 420, 425 grains going about 309, 300 feet to 10 feet feet per second, somewhere right in there. Uh, Victory Rip XV shaft, 300 spine, 27.5 inch with, on the front end, a, we'll call it a 50 grain hidden insert with an iron wheel, 10 grain titanium collar. On the back end, a gold tip knock collar and nocturnal knocks with three-fledged DCA saber veins. And I did post a a video on my Instagram just showing the AeroFlight I was able to get with that. Set up with broadheads, which, like I mentioned last week, I didn't think prior to doing all this testing that I had done that I was going to be able to get broadheads to fly as well as they're flying at such a high speed um, and again, just want to reiterate that I'm shooting a pretty high energy setup, so that's part of the reason why I chose what I chose. Uh, I still think that the more or less happy medium setup plays a lot of benefit for a lot of people and uh I don't think you should necessarily just off the cuff try to emulate any one person's individual setup at least not without understanding all the context that goes around why they chose what they chose. And then on the traditional side of things, I've still continued to make progress. I did end up signing up for some one-on-one coaching. I did that through the push with Alex Melnick and I'd say money well spent. He was able to look at my shot and pick a couple things that honestly I was totally overlooking. And we were able to make some really good progress, and just in terms of taking the shot that I did have, cleaning up and focusing on one thing at a time to resolve some of those issues, I think I still have a long ways to go ultimately, but this is a a long term journey. It's not just something that's a a short term fix. but I continue to shoot at least my ILF setup really well to the point where that one inside of twenty yards I feel ultra confident with. I have the Acadian wood setup that I don't feel quite as confident with i Earlier in the year, I had shot a, a very heavy arrow setup with it, about thirteen and a half grains per pound, I think, and just shooting unknown three D courses with it. I have very very large high and low spread with those arrows, even though they were long. I had a good point on, uh, it just was not very forgiving from a range estimation standpoint. I felt like in the woods that have a high likelihood of backstrapping or you know hitting the belly hair on a deer that you know otherwise could have been a good shot. Um, and then I had another arrow setup that. I basically went the other direction and went down to 10 grains per pound, which is like a 450 grain arrow. And I still shoot that one like, okay, but not great uh, to where I don't feel ultra confident with it. Plus the fact that it's uh, a little bit lighter of an arrow out of a traditional bow. So ultimately I think with that bow, I'm going to end up somewhere in the middle where I have another long arrow that is going to make it a little bit easier to use that uh, gap instinctive aiming method. And kind of have the point of the arrow somewhere in the the realm of my peripheral eyesight and still have a total arrow weight that is not so ultra heavy that it's over penalizing for my range estimation errors, even out to like, you know, 18, 20 yards. But then on the flip side, of course, not going too far in the other direction and kind of staying with that nice happy balance, uh, you know, again, sticking with perfect arrow flight and good shot placement. And I think the biggest thing for me is that shot placement wise, I'm just not quite there yet with that bow to where I feel, you know, personally comfortable with it. And I have hunted with it in the past. I think, you know, part of that was just me trying to convince myself that I was ready to hunt with it because I really wanted to hunt with it. Um, but also I had some pretty strict range limits on myself where I was probably going to take a shot like under 12 yards. And if everything was, you know, feeling really great, maybe out to like 15, 16, but where I'd prefer to be is that from an accuracy standpoint, I feel really confident out to like 2025 and then the more realistic shots that I would take at like 10 to 15 would just feel like slam dunks. That's where I'd like to be. And that's kind of where I'm at with that ILF setup right now. I feel like it's really forgiving. I'm shooting it pretty well. So that's just where I'm at currently. And it's, you know, given that we're a few weeks out from the season, that's probably where things will leave off heading into the season. So in terms of some of the checklist items, in order to kind of organize my thoughts, I put together just five items that I think are good to check off the list. Some of them are really easy to just go ahead and do and other ones are going to involve some more work, but I think they're all important. And uh, I'm not going to include the obvious, you know, go ahead and get your licenses, especially if it's something where you need to get it delivered by mail and check your regulations. Just make sure that you have everything all set in stone. Know what is legal and not legal in each state that you're going to be hunting. Make sure you look at the first page. Usually there's a list of changes since the last year. So that's always good to look at. Now for my actual number one here, uh, it's archery related, check your bow and arrow flight. I know with compounds, especially a lot of times, especially with newer bows that are made so well, you can almost hang your bow up from last year, not shoot it all year, pick it back up. And there's a chance you'll knock an arrow, draw back and start shooting and it'll be hitting right where it was last year. And you can make the argument like, oh, good to go again this year, and again it depends on what your goals are and and all that sort of thing. But I can remember even shooting leagues indoors like years ago with you know ten years older technology than we have now, and going in to league not having shot my bow for the last you know three months, and the first time we go in and shoot, you shoot the highest score, and then you know each week after that you're trying to chase that score that you shot in the first week. Point being, the equipment itself basically held its own. Now that's not always going to be the case, especially if you had stored your bow in an area that uh, had some pretty varying weather conditions. But what's really important this time of year, I think to do regardless is check your arrow flight with your broadheads and start doing some realistic practice. I'm going to make the assumption that guys who are really into the archery side of things are probably already out there shooting 3D events and doing tack events and have their stuff all dialed. Maybe they've been tinkering with it all summer, but I'm making this point more towards the guys who, you know, once again, are just taking that bow out of the case, verifying their point of impact saying, yep, good to go again for this season. It's really tempting to just go ahead and make that verification with field points. And you might not realize that maybe your bows uh, cables have changed and now you're slightly out of sync and that's throwing a, a slight high or a low tear. And now your broadheads are not going to impact the same as your field points. So it's definitely always good to verify that. And of course, with the realistic practice, that can tell you as much about your form as anything, and it can also give you realistic limitations. Cuz I think what happens, and I'm probably guilty as anyone of this over my, you know, hunting lifetime is you get a certain level of expectation for how well you can shoot based on your best days shooting at the range. And I'm sure there's something psychological about that. Your brain just kind of, you know, blocks out all your bad shots. And then you, you finally end on three good ones. And you're like, yep, that's how good I can shoot. And that's how good I can shoot at whatever yardage. And that can give you a really unrealistic expectation for what's reality. And, you know, I can't remember who I was listening to, but there was somebody who said a quote on a, another podcast that was something along the lines of whatever your worst shot is throughout your, you know, shooting sessions at the range. Like you have to assume that that's going to happen to you, you know, Murphy's law in the woods. Uh, so almost kind of look at it for um, not necessarily how good can you do throughout that shooting shooting session, but what do you do on your worst shots. And if you go out and shoot from elevated positions or you shoot from stools, you know, in a ground blind or tucked into a deadfall and you're in some goofy contorted uh, position, you might be putting different torques on the bow that you are at the range that can affect your point of impact, that can affect your tune, uh meaning that once again your broadheads might not fly exactly the same as those field points would. And then shooting in inclement weather or windy conditions, that can tell you a lot about your point of impact, how much it changes, and also how much your arrow might be, you know, kind of twisting in the wind and getting blown at an angle which is going to affect your penetration. But it can also tell you how much less steady can you hold in a strong crosswind. So those are all good things to verify. Pretty straightforward. I don't really have much to add. Just make sure you're shooting your broadheads, and make sure I would recommend shoot every hunting arrow that you have with the broadhead on it, just to kind of verify that each of your arrows is impacting where you think it is, and you don't have, you know, a random flyer tucked in there. And make sure you're doing some of that realistic practice. The next item that I have on here is just running through your gear. Check all of your ropes, straps. uh, Look in your rangefinder. Make sure the batteries still work. Maybe just go ahead and put a fresh battery in. Make sure that anything you have that uses batteries and especially alkaline batteries hasn't started leaking over the last year. And it seems like with me, I usually always find something that, you know, toward the middle of the, or the end of the season, I was like, oh, I'm going to fix this, or something had broke and maybe I was going to upgrade something to make it quieter or more efficient. And the season ends and you forget about it. And now it comes to this time of the year. And then you go to pull it out of your pack in your first hunt and you're like, oh crap, I was going to fix this and you totally forgot about it. Well, now's the time to go ahead, make sure you've got all that gear laid out. Anything that uh, does need to be adjusted or fixed, you can do it now. If you need to replace something, obviously, this is the busiest time of year for buying equipment. So hopefully it's something that either there's good inventory of at a local store, and hopefully it's not something that uh, is, you know, special order because, you know, it's getting better now, but there was a while there during that, you know, initial boom of the mobile hunting craze where a lot of the places who were making products were getting started they were having massive amount of sales and really struggling to kind of keep up with the volume and across the board you saw really long wait times and it was very high likelihood that you weren't going to get whatever you were looking for by the time the hunting season started unless you'd ordered it back in like may or june likely if there's something that you were going to get new i imagine you've probably already bought it at this point so As much as anything, this point is really just making sure that for all the stuff you haven't been thinking about for the last year, verify that it's all good to go. Third item on my list is practice climbing. You know, I would like to say that I climb as many, if not more trees than the average guy throughout the course of a hunting season. However, I'm definitely not immune to the fact that if I haven't climbed a tree in a while, and especially a really goofy tree, lots of limbs, or it's got a weird lean to it. Those first few climbs, it's it's like you're trying to, to learn to walk all over again. Certainly having a system that you're familiar with and you've been using for several years makes a huge help in that regard. But often just going through the motions and, you know, going out before work or going out after dark, uh, maybe using a headlamp and then maybe not using a headlamp to really refamiliarize yourself with where all of your ropes are, um, how to detach your sticks, how to use night eyes, gear ties, or whatever else you're going to use to make your, your personal setup work for you. Just get those repetitions in. And then once the season starts, you're all ready to go and you can climb those trees as efficiently, effectively, and quietly and safely as you can. And then item number four on my list is double checking all of your hunting properties. And obviously if you have knock on door permission or if you're doing a lease or something like that, then certainly you'd be checking with the landowner, just confirming that, uh, you know, your permission is still good for this year. Does anybody else have permission that they might've given that you're not expecting? And even if you're hunting on public land, things definitely change all the time. So if you hadn't already been out there and you haven't been running cameras or you haven't, uh, done any glassing or you haven't planned on it prior to the season actually starting, don't just show up on opening day and assume that the DNR hasn't gone and created a new access trail or even logged off a couple of areas. I know that's been a big one for me. And some of the places that I've hunted in the Northern part of the state where there is active logging, I've gone in in like June or July to go and hang trail cameras. And I have, you know, specific trees and areas that I want to go hang those cameras. Maybe even have good scrapes that were hot the prior year. And I go walk in there just to find that it's totally you know, clear cut to the ground, totally bare, no, not a tree in sight for hundreds, if not thousands of yards in multiple directions. And that could really throw a wrench in your plans. And I know that on opening weekend last year, that definitely caught a few people off guard in that area where they maybe had favorite tree stands or they had an area that they had been visualizing and planning on hunting for the last couple of months. And they go in there and there's no tree left to climb. So make sure that's not you. Make sure you go in and just verify all that, check all of that. Maybe even find some new rules. Um, I've seen that happen before too, where you go into the parking lot and maybe there's an easement or an access that used to be there and used to be valid, but it got closed for whatever reason. And then you have to figure out a new way to get into that property. I've also seen it where places that used to be gated off are no longer gated off and now there's way more access and people can drive vehicles or ATVs back into areas that you would assumed would have been foot traffic only. Obviously that can throw a wrench in your plans as well. So it really goes both ways. It's number one, making sure that the land itself doesn't have any really big changes. Number two, making sure that the rules and the access haven't really changed either. And then number five on my list is somewhat a little bit different. It's more of a a mental exercise of just looking at your goals that you have for the season and just having a conversation with yourself and figure out, are these goals realistic? Are there potential barriers that I might have for these specific plans that I'm hoping to achieve this year? And if there are barriers to those plans, what can you do to help remove those barriers? And obviously that needs to to be realistic as well. I don't necessarily have any problems or issues with having goals that are lofty or goals that might be unrealistic as long as you don't put too high of an expectation on yourself that you have to achieve those lofty goals or else your season's a failure. I mean, ultimately, we're all doing this because we enjoy it. And at least for me, that means having goals that are not so far out of reach that it feels like work more than it is actual enjoyment. I referenced earlier in the podcast that uh, I wasn't going to be traveling as much this year as I had in previous years, at least not until I filled some of my local tags and got some of those initial goals done there. And that's something that I've struggled with over the past couple of years is trying to spread myself too thin, but also having goals that were fairly lofty in certain regards. And I think in many cases, some of the goals that I set for myself are not necessarily all that lofty or out of reach in and of themselves. But when you only give yourself a certain amount of time to complete those based on having lots and lots of goals that you're all trying to accomplish, then spreading yourself too thin becomes a really, really Big possibility. And I've definitely done that plenty of times myself where maybe I buy a gazillion tags, more than I could possibly ever realistically hope to fill in a given season. And in order to make all of those different travel hunts work and uh, using my PTO accordingly, I end up taking these three, four day hunts, which if you have a lot of history with a certain area or you know that the pressure is going to be somewhat reliable or you've just been doing this for an awful long time and you're really good at what you do, then there's definitely guys out there who can make that happen more often than not. But there's also the huge risk there that you end up just starting to figure stuff out just when you're getting ready to leave. And then you have to go travel to someplace else or go back to work for the next week. And then you come back out and you go to some different state and it's just too hard to keep up with. And, and again, maintain enough of a feel for what's actually going on in the woods. Uh, and maybe that combined with the goals that might be again, not too lofty in and of themselves, like maybe targeting a a certain age class of animal, but combined on a short trip with not a lot of fresh intel because you've just been hunting other places, that can turn that otherwise reasonable goal into one that ends up being really unrealistic. I think I had heard uh, Aaron Warburton on somebody's podcast recently too, talking about how last year at the THP, they felt like they you know, we're spreading themselves a little bit thin as well. It's definitely something that anybody can fall into the trap of, especially with how accessible and how fun and how, you know, I guess easy, easy is not the right word. I guess accessible was the right word that uh, travel hunting and mobile hunting has become. We all have the right gear for it now and all of the information on how to be successful, the kind of the steps to follow for those types of trips, a lot of the resources for, you know, how to pack, how to, camp and uh, hunt out of your camp and, and all that sort of stuff we have a lot of content on. And so it becomes popular. And that's just, you know, one example that I have, because it's something that I do a lot of, but you could probably put this in your own situation and say, maybe it's, uh, maybe you got uh, 10 properties that you've knocked on the door of and, and you've gotten yeses. And maybe those 10 properties across three different States and maybe your goal is to shoot a really mature buck in all three of those States and maybe you've even done that in the past, but then maybe this year you also want to try self-filming it. And maybe you also want to try with a traditional bow. And before you know it, stacking some of those expectations on top of one another can, uh, can really not work out in your favor. So not trying to discourage anybody, but really the whole point of this little discussion point was just to, you know, set some time and, and just review those goals and make sure that you're setting something up that's not going to set yourself up for failure but uh, also is going to give you ultimately what you're looking for out of the course of the season. That'll do it for this week's episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Empire on Instagram and Facebook. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from myself, subscribe to DIY Sportsman on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified of new videos. You can also follow DIY Sportsman on Instagram. And with that, thanks for listening.